Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Mandy Smith, originally from Australia. She's lead pastor of University Christian Church, a campus and neighborhood congregation with its own fair trade cafe in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's also the author of several books, most recently The Vulnerable Pastor, and she's a friend. I give you Mandy Smith. Mandy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we talked for a long time, and most of it is not suitable for air because, I mean, it's perfectly suitable, but (laughs) us catching up. Sounds like we're having an R-rated conversation. Exactly. Exactly. R for righteous and religious. Yes, of course. I want to, I just found out something about you, though, it's fascinating, that you're Wedding anniversary and ordination date of you and your husband are on the same day. Yes. So when we got married, we were um, actually on our way to Bible college as well. So um, I was 18, my uh, husband was 21, and his mom had the idea that since we were headed off to go study the Bible together and prepare for some kind of ministry, we should um, make our ordination also on our wedding date. And so we have a photo of us kneeling at the front of the church and the two elders of the church, one of whom I think didn't even finish high school, um, laying hands on us. And um, it was an independent congregation. So the elders of the church on behalf of the church acknowledged that they saw something in us and acknowledged our call for ministry. And we were off. So given that I'm not in a movement now that ordains women, um, it I kind of only just Recently, but you are that. wait. Are you ordained though, or are you? That's are the, my ordination. No, so the, so you serve as the. I didn't know that that you're a church that you're yeah. the pastor and the. I'm the lead pastor of the congregation, and in our in our denominate or in our movement, we it's the same movement. So we ordain people in our local congregations, but that generally in other congregations is not for women oh, wow. uh, unless they're wanting to do children's ministry or women's ministry. Um, no, not many other congregations of six thousand in this movement would would choose to ordain the women in their congregations. Um, but the nice thing about that is that you can slip through the cracks because it's up to each ordina- up to each congregation. So, so yeah, so um, I that's just a normal thing for me. And it was only recently when we had our anniversary, and I was looking through the photos that I saw the photo of us being ordained on our wedding day, and I realized, oh, I guess that's probably not a normal thing. That's um, but I, I claim it, and when people say, are you ordained, I say yes, according to the way our tradition does it, I am ordained. So I was only 18, and I had no idea what I was being called to yet, and I hadn't been to Bible college yet. So, But I uh, I guess the laying on of the hands over all of the centuries somehow could be traced back to somebody of significance in the New Testament, so I'm going to take it. I'll take it, and you're ordained in my book, and you do lots of men's <laughs> ministry, not the least in which of which is in your church, but also on this podcast. So, Mm. Well, thank you for welcoming me. Isaiah. Yes. We're doing it Aussie style today. Exactly. Aussie style. Uh, Verses 11, verses 1 through 10. This is a prophecy about a 
something that will come out of the stump of Jesse, this, this one, this child, this offspring that will be hope, uh, that, that, uh, and will be part of somehow this initiation or bringing into a time when things will radically change and where there, where there was enmity that won't exist anymore. And there'll be peace and healing and, and things will be integrated in a way that they didn't, Mm. They weren't previously. It's a really interesting passage. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm being reminded of um, spring. Every spring just feels like this. I don't know. It's almost like you wonder. Maybe I do because I didn't grow up with all the leaves falling off the trees once a year. Like sometimes I wonder, like maybe this is the spring that it, they won't grow back. <laughs> Everything will just stay dead, and it's been so cold and and all so lifeless for so long. Will we ever see the green again? And um, just the the hope that bursts forth when you see your first little bud. You know, I always think like they call them buds for a reason because they're like little friends that come back. Every <laughs> <laughs> so um I just uh am thinking of that as I'm reading this about like a stump feels like that's the end of the story and a shoot feels like a new story is growing and it just like I feel this little bit of hope flickering in my heart when I read it. The hope like what is how's that hope translate for you? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was walking recently and thinking about um I saw a fountain that had the thing the quote on it about justice flowing down like the waters Ooh. and um and i thought i don't really I, I don't know i found myself longing for the kind of judgment that this is describing that um we wouldn't normally say like yes let's look forward to the day of judgment <laughs> but um if we have the kind of judge who's not the judge sitting up in a cap in a gown and banging with a gavel but you know the the wise person sitting by the city gates that we would seek out when there's a dispute or a decision to be made as they did in Israel. Um, someone who we trust, who is, who is like good to the core, um, then we would want that. You know, we would want someone who, when he sees, sees as, sees all things as they truly are, sees us as we truly are. Um, and, you know, the kind of description here of someone of, full of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord and who mm. doesn't judge by appearances but but with righteousness, with equity. Um, and even even if the breath of his lips kills the wicked, we are troubled by that um, because we think we're more merciful than him. We think, oh, but what if they weren't really wicked? What if they were actually trying? <laughs> you know, do we think we are better judges than him? And um, do we think we're more merciful than he is? And, and also, so, don't you think of that person that, like, you are estranged from by your own actions, mm. and they're not estranged from you, mm. and they think you've been in fidelity with them, and you've not been in, but you haven't been, and their look of affection looks to you like daggers, piercing daggers. Mm -hmm. Like, is, is mm. it that God has changed God's own disposition to us, or we've oh, changed? Yeah. So, we, so God's we love, can't bear His gaze. Yeah, God's love feels like wrath. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if I really could believe that he was truly wise and truly good and truly merciful and saw all things as they truly are, then I think I would long for that kind of judgment, long for that all things to be made right, that he would see 
you know, it's horrible to imagine that he would see all of our brokenness and all of our sin, but he already does. <laughs> um, but that he also would see how much we try and and see us through eyes that are looking for every opportunity to say yes to us. Um, righteousness is the belt around his waist and faithfulness is the belt around his loins. You know, that he's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, I guess that is connected to the fact that peace will reign and things that aren't supposed to be at peace, like all these creatures, um, somehow can be at peace. It makes no sense. Yeah, I love these things. I don't know if you look on these things in Facebook, but like uh, where like these animals that shouldn't be friends <laughs> and they're friends. They're I mostly on like football things. They're trying to get you to like raise money. And, like I, 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 they're so moving to me though. The, the, these animals that mm-hmm. they seems like they shouldn't be friends. Yeah, and yet they are friends. What's the craziest one you've seen? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm trying to think. Cats and dogs usually, but that's not the craziest, right? Though. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think there was one with a bat. Yeah, like a bat and a cow or something weird like that. Yeah, it's uncanny. So I'm thinking right now as we're talking, I was searching for something. As you could probably see me frantically looking, that we're. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know this thinker, vegan Gorion? Uh, he's he's he used to be at University of Virginia, and he is a Orthodox theologian ethicist, and he it was on on being. Um, in 2007, and I listened to this every like Easter. Mm. I'm, I'm looking for the transcript so I don't get it wrong, but I'm looking to just tell it. me what you remember. What made you think of it? Well, it's like so basically, he talks about how oh, here it is. Uh, he says, <clears throat> So he says, several summers ago, my children found two turtles and put them in the vegetable garden during a thaw in the next February as I was digging up the soggy soil where the peas go. I lifted a heavy mound with my shovel and then another. The two turtles had burrowed down for winter sleep and I had rudely awakened them too soon. So I carried them to a corner of the garden where I would not disturb them and dug them in again. When my wife said she feared the turtles might be dead, I said, I do not think so, though I wasn't as sure as I sounded. I insisted that in spring they would come up and they did in Easter week. Hmm. Lilies and hyacinths signify the resurrection. I can understand why, but I I have a pair of turtles that plant themselves in my garden each fall like two gigantic seeds mm. and rise on Easter with earthen crowns upon their humbled heads. Mm. With the women at the tomb, I marvel. Mm. And I, I think about these things that, like, you, you've read a lot of theological books, as so have I, and so have your husband, and so have many people we know, but, like, these things that can't express these mysteries of mm-hmm. more than wolves and lambs and turtles and mm. tears and sticks on fences <laughs> yeah i mean and isaiah seems to talk about a place where all these things that the high sacredness and the multi-syllabic words will be at one with dirt and turtles and mm-hmm. and we'll all rejoice in all this that's beautiful i think it's yeah oftentimes when those like if there was something in the bible about the turtles that dig into the ground every winter and come up in the spring they'd become then these like fancy scriptural things that we wouldn't think of in quite the same way as actually having a turtle in the backyard but um i think we've lost something if we can't read scripture in that way that's really um engaging our senses and our playfulness 
Um, and, yeah, and, and, and letting scripture read us, right? Read our world. Yeah. On to the book of Romans. Oh, here we go. Chapter 15, verses 4 through oh, in, 13. In Australia, we call it Romans. Romans. All right. Yeah. Like, have you ever seen um, the movie Bruno with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen? Oh, yes. My goodness. My face was sore from cringing. He is, at one point, he, <laughs> in his HBO show, he's interviewing this pastor who has a kind of reparative therapy ministry. And he says, well, tell me what you're doing with gay people right now. He says, well, we're doing a Bible study right now in the book of Romans. And Sasha Baron Cohen goes, you know, oh, I love Romans. <laughs> <laughs> I love Romans. <laughs> so uh, he says whatever, you know, talks about what was written in the former days. And it's interesting because he, he, he talks about Christ here and glorifying God. And he says, welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And the previous verse to that is that, you know, with one voice, you could glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scott McKnight in his new book, Reading Romans Backwards, says you start here. Mm. And all the theology is about getting these alienated, estranged Christians mm. where there's enmity in the middle of the Roman Empire over, like, you know, Jew-Gentile stuff and cross-cultural stuff and how we interpret all this in light of Jesus. And here, I mean, the whole thing, it's not a... Systematic theology, McKnight argues, with some practical stuff at the end. He's like, you read the practical stuff first, mm-hmm. the end. And all the theology is Paul's effort to get a gospel big enough to let them both embrace each other as Christ mm-hmm. embraced them. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. It's like the, the, the lion and the lamb and the, you know, all this. Right. It's, it's, it's Paul trying to get, I guess, a down payment of that right. future hope in the here and now. Yeah. And that's my longing for the church in general and for my congregation is that the world would look at us and say, these people don't belong together. This doesn't make sense. They've got nothing in common. What is it that's keeping them together? So that, um, you know, if it, it would be a testimony um, to the world that we have something that's binding us that's not just politics or race or gender or age or socioeconomic status or whatever. But that's really hard work, and um, I'm preaching this Sunday actually on First Corinthians 13, which you know is hard to read without just going nanny nanny nanny. You know, we all know it from every wedding we've ever been to. But it's such a it's a love poem to love, and um, not and it's love. Paul has called the Corinthians in the first twelve chapters everything he mentioned, like. They were rude. They're self-seeking. They puff themselves. I mean, what yes. about saying, look, Christ has done this for you. Look, you could receive him and he'll receive you into this love. Like, Yeah. And I noticed for the first time this time reading it, how much there's um, mentions of time in there that uh, it's long, it's long suffering and it's patient and it never ends. And where something ceases, this never ceases. Um, and so I, I'm just kind of seeing how love is not feeling, although we do have those feelings and shouldn't set them aside when they come, but just the choice to be together long term um, somehow teaches us these things that we're also reading in Romans that um, might be possible for us to 
to be together. And so I, I actually want to say to my congregation, like, there may be reasons why I have to go at some point if there's sickness or family changes or whatever. But I'm promising you now, I'm not going to leave because I get fed up with you. <laughs> I'm choosing to stay. And um, if if I ever do leave, it won't be because I broke relationship with you. Will you do the same? For me, I need you, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think the same thing is happening with the, the people in Romans too. Yeah, that's a beautiful word too. I think like as I'm thinking in Advent, I'm thinking, I I feel like between Black Friday and Christmas is like people are exhausted. So it's out of the holidays and the holidays, it's like, it's almost worse than people like, oh, the holidays are over. Wait, I thought the holidays were were, where we relax. And and this thing, I feel like what you're saying is like, this stuff is received, not achieved, right? Like Mm. it's, it's, it's caught with open hands, not with full hands or Mm. when, you know, like in these things where you're just, you're showing up, it's not glamorous or heroic a lot of the time, but then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, these, we've been knit together in some ways. Like there's this kind of, in ways we couldn't achieve, right? Mm. It can only be received by showing up with lots of grace. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently when I saw the, one of those coexist stickers and I get the sentiment behind it, and I think we should coexist. But at the same time, those stickers are kind of preachy. <laughs> and they're like, right, right. you should is implied. <laughs> or we should, I guess. But like, it's harder to say, I'm willing to coexist with you. Will you coexist with me? And that's really hard. I think we all, you know, all the like, be kind stickers. Like, of course, you don't have to tell anybody they should be kind. But when it really comes down to it, it's costly. <laughs> And um, it's easy to be like, well, until they do this to me, and, and you know, unless we're talking about those people, um, we talk so much about you know being together in difference and getting along and all that kind of stuff. But then we feel like we have we have our rights, and once somebody has crossed a particular line, that's a different story altogether. Yeah, and I think Advent is this time where we think about like the time between the times where, as Paul says, Christ has made so much time and patience. Like, Christ is the is the patience of God in many ways. Mm. And so how do we how do yeah. we imagine that patience <laughs> with ourselves and then see it through God's eyes to the world? Right. And to be the the Corinthians passage is coming back to me again too about can we just be together until we understand? It, maybe there's a way that we will understand by being together, but what does it look like to be together until then to be known? as we are fully known, somehow the understanding is going to be a different kind of understanding. And I've been remembering um, times when I've had to make a choice where I've had people who don't affirm me as a leader, but who are Christians, and then non-Christians who are like, you go girl, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really, it would be really easy to say, oh, um, well, those are my real people because they affirm me. And um, I've had to say, no, these people are the, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have to acknowledge that we have something in common. And and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are trying to be faithful to Scripture and what God is laying on their hearts. And even if I don't like what they're saying or how they're treating me, I have to choose to say they are my people more than the people who affirm me, even though I love those people, of course, and I see God's image in them, they are not, they don't share the Spirit of Christ with me. And so I can't say they are more mine than the people who do share the Spirit of Christ with me. That's really uncomfortable. 
Um, I was reading uh, Miroslav Wolf this week, and I think it was Moltman asked him a question in a live. <laughs> have you heard of the Chetnik? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what kind of friend is he? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, and he said, no, but I think I should be able to as a follower of Christ. And I thought that was really honest and also really humble because um, I expected he would say, yes, I would. But he was he was like counting the cost. And that was the story of the book Exclusion and Embrace. Yeah. One of yeah. the best books theologically oh, in the it. 20th century. I mean, it's yeah. book blows actually, me away. Bringing it back around, I think, to this Romans 15 passage, right before this, if I remember correctly when I was reading it earlier, it says something about the way that they have insulted us is on him. Um, what does that mean? If however we feel justified to not welcome the other, we can put that on Jesus. Like that really <laughs> is a hard thing to trust that somehow he has taken their insults. I'm trying to find that passage. It's at the beginning of Romans 15, right before yeah. this. Um, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, um, says Jesus. You know, so. Uh, if that were really true, what would that mean for us? How could we receive those who have even who have insulted us, whether with words or actions? And it's amazing that Paul concludes this pa- this lectionary, the lection that we have, quoting the passage from Isaiah: "The root of Jesse shall come." Yeah. Like, would Isaiah ever thought, amidst the ruins, that in the new capital of the world there'd be this fledgling group of people that are a new kind of people of God? I mean, it's just. Mm. probably could have never imagined that mm. this guy named Paul who's running around and in and out of jails and, you know, all sorts of challenging situations is, is knitting together a new humanity. Yeah, I often think about that at Advent, that we're a bit flippant because we've known, we know the story and we can just be like, in one sentence, well, they waited for this for a long time and then Jesus came. You know, yeah. we don't get the feeling of the relief of being in the story. I guess um, we're feeling the longing for the next part of the story to come. But um, I don't think, you know, what Anna and Simeon felt when they actually laid eyes on him and the worship that they could break into because it was the fulfillment of something that generations had longed for. We don't feel that. Um, and we're kind of spoiled that the ground we walk on is so rich and full and we're just like, not even noticing it, you know. Oh, happy day. So on to the Gospels. We have Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We get this introduction to John the Baptist here, crying in the wilderness. Mm. repent and you know the the kingdom of heaven has come and he's wearing camel's hair and not like a kind at, at brooks brothers um not a blazer <laughs> <laughs> a leather belt and his locust and wild honey and he's warning the pharisees and sadducees and baptizing people and uh making way for the way of the lord that you know the coming of the lord he always strikes me as a tragic figure because i think of this his father zechariah who wants this child and Mm-hmm. And names him John, which is already weird. Like it's not something mm-hmm. a family name. And then Zechariah mm-hmm. is a man of the temple, and his son goes out and says, "That's not where you find God. Mm-hmm. Find God out mm-hmm. here across the like we're not." That. Yeah, I just think how tragic. Got that some was. daddy issues. Yeah, how tragic that must have been for mm-hmm. 
Zechariah that you you yeah and you know this child of with this unusual birth who winds up mm. taking an unusual road yeah well yeah i mean he's a uh, quite a character isn't he i wonder if they were proud of him i guess they had some sense of something to come with him and then the way his life ends i guess too like what a story yeah and, and the one thing that it's i somebody gave me this track one time a person who's very conservative christian which it's very moving, and, and the track was called "Blessed." It, it, "Blessed is the one who does not take offense." It was all about. It, it was riffing off that one verse in I think Matthew six fifteen, where Jesus, where John's wondering if Jesus is really the one, and mm. and Jesus says, "Blessed is the one who takes no offense at me." Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a John's a fascinating figure because he's sort of like uh, he he. I mean, Paul's all wrote something in a book called the first christian which i think was a reworking of his dissertation that he when he wrote it like he writes this thing i I said i can't believe i've never read this before i don't think i have but it blew my mind he said you know john the baptist and most of the second temple kind of apocalyptic prophets preached not yet but soon Mm. and jesus preached already not Mm. yet Mm. which makes space for you and me it makes space for so it's sort of like john's Mm. kind of message is sort of and you understand it in light of the way mm. they're reading the Bible at the time, like if we clean ourselves up, then the kingdom will come. Mm-mm. And Jesus is inviting the messy people into the dawning of the kingdom and saying, mm. you know, part of this alreadiness is I'm making you clean and you can walk in that. Like it's, mm-hmm. there's room for the messiness. The kingdom is among you. Yeah. It's the kingdom is not the sort of uh, sanitize all at once kind of mm. Purell puree. <laughs> it's this kind of thing where like there's space for you. To be mm. a work in progress. Mm. When it says, um, the, you said it's called the first Christian, was it saying John was the first Christian? He's saying Jesus. Like, it's actually sort of saying Jesus oh. was was kind of... The first Christian. Yeah, he's arguing that based <laughs> over against a lot of New Testament scholarship that Jesus was not just another second temple Jewish thinker, that that there were some radical things he was saying mm, mm. That, that marked a new world, you know, that... Yeah, and, I, and, and then that's one of the things... So all points to that this already not yet, which makes room for kind of Paul's understanding of grace and, you know, Luther's Simon Eustis Epicado or, the, or Augustine's sort of two cities and we're on a pilgrimage. It's not all there. It, I feel like Jesus brings a sort of messiness to the understanding of how the kingdom comes mm. that allows for real wholeness. Mm. Hmm. I think his way is so infused in Western culture too, that we, we don't even realize how different it would have seemed and how how barbaric life would be without you know fundamental things like selflessness and generosity and things that have become a part of our culture but we don't give christianity or jesus much credit for that what is it there's so many blessings to be in a culture that's even marginally still influenced by some of these values right there there's influence there that we can't even see that is worth keeping, even though there's other ways that we've abused Christian values as well. And I'm trying to remember how it was put that in the um, this cultural moment podcast, they say um, we want the kingdom, but not the king. So yeah. we don't want the authority part of Jesus. We don't want the lordship of Jesus, but we want the niceness of Jesus. We want all the hope, um, but it's hard to get that if we don't actually count him as our Lord. 
You know, I think of like Mar- Martin Buber, right? The great Jewish thinker says like, really, we want I, thou, not I, it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we want to be treated like a thou, not an it. And shouldn't Christ, shouldn't we, shouldn't we give Christ at least the same due? Mm-hmm. That we treat him as an end in himself, not just a means to our own ends, but that, that he's an end. In, in, but, but when you welcome him as the end, right, he brings the means also to for the ends we're all looking for, like the mm. lion and the lamb in real peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just remembering what comes after this story in Matthew 3, where, you know, he's just, John's just been talking about Jesus, and the Jesus actually turns up, and John says, Who am I to baptize you, basically? And just even that beautiful scene of, um, you know, normally when somebody is proclaiming this amazing person is about to turn up and He's going to do all these, this one who's more powerful than I is coming after me and not, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals and he's going to do this with the spirit and with fire and he's going to do all this stuff and then he turns up and he's just this ordinary guy who needs to be baptized too and um, I think we're just so used to that story but it's so beautiful to imagine that I would have loved to have been there and you know John himself is surprised by it. How did other people see that to imagine this this is this guy, you know, who's turning up, just some ordinary person. And we and even though we can't be there, he the one who was there baptized can be present to us in the Lord's mm-hmm. day and many other days in, in ways that because he's the risen one and the coming mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Manny, thanks for doing this. Mm, good to be with you. You're the best. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Mandy for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you again for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.